Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy, and we're both turning off our phones. Nope. <laughs> Just did the same. And we are good to go. Lots and lots and lots and lots of news. Boy, it's just kind of like if it's if when it rains, it pours, is the old saying, Bruce, today it is pouring. David, before I turn my phone off, I'm going to read you the key headline from today from the Beaverton. And this is, uh, I like the target here. NHL chooses Toronto as hub city due to its fans having the most experience watching other teams win. <laughs> They could have said that about Edmonton, but they 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 managed to single out Toronto, so I like it. That's a, a satirical website, but it's also <laughs> yes, it often a lot of truth in in humor. <laughs> so, Bruce, um, let's just quickly what we're going to talk about today is Edmonton as the hub city, the sat the flat salary cap and its implications on the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, those are the two major topics, and they're both huge topics, especially the flat salary cap because it has absolutely Profound implications for a, a team like the Edmonton Oilers and all NHL teams in the in the coming three mm-hmm. seasons, and it, the flat cap I think is actually also the key to getting the deal done. I didn't. I, I was having a hard time figuring out how you could get a deal done under these circumstances. Now it makes sense to me because this was the major. I see it as a major freaking con- concession that the owner owners gave to the players, uh, and we'll get into why I think that, and maybe you'll agree or disagree. I- Edmonton, hub city, Hubmonton, Bruce, Hubmonton. I know mm-hmm. it's not, some people say, oh, it's not that big a deal. It doesn't mean that much for the local economy. We can't go to the games. All those comments are absolutely true uh, On if you want to look at it in that way. Uh, nonetheless, it's Edmonton has not only been named a, a, a hub city for the first round of the playoffs, but it, Bob McKenzie of TSN is reporting today that Edmonton is the hub city for the entire uh semi conference finals and for the Stanley cup final. So it's all going to be here. Unfortunately, we will not be able to watch Connor McDavid go all the way to the final and hoist the cup in person. We'll have to watch that on TV, but um, Bruce, I'm actually excited about it. This on a number of levels. First of all, congratulations, Dina Hinshaw, government of Alberta and people of Alberta. This is a real, uh, tip of the hat from an outside organization, outside business saying, you guys have done really well on that COVID-19 outbreak thing. And we're going to bring our business to you, whatever, you know, whatever business we have, we're bringing it to you because you did so well handling COVID. And, and I've had a few moments. I was out at, I was out at the stores on the weekend and there was, I saw three different people coughing and I thought Mm -hmm. without wearing face masks and I, I curbed my desire to strangle them. In, in my tracks. I couldn't believe, Bruce, what I was seeing with my eyes, seeing that. So I'm a little worried, actually, about what's going on here. I think we're getting a bit lax um, as a group. Complacent. Complacent. And we're going to suffer for it in the next little while. That said, I think we have done really well. And this is this is a, a, this is a clear indication that that's the case. Yeah, well, across the board, I mean, whatever your your uh, political stripe, if you're, you know, in favor of um, of uh, the hockey coming here, I mean, the, the federal government for all of the all of the uh, uh, talk about them being the ones digging in their heels, both of the hub cities are now in Canada. 
So obviously, whatever those roadblocks were, and you know, nationally, I think the key issue here is that nationally, Canada is doing a lot better than the United States and uh, uh, the NHL. You know, it took a lot for them to not put either of the hub cities stateside. And it's not often that the NHL chooses Canada over the states. You know, I was expecting, <laughs> right. frankly, expecting one of each, but for both of them to be in Canada is a, is a it's either a feather in our cap or it's a statement of how how uh, grave the situation is becoming south of the border, and and that has me concerned as to whether these games will ever get started. Frankly, it's that training that big training camp hurdle. You know, stage phase three. That we have to, uh, wow, five lawnmowers driving right by my house. Five, five of those little powered lawnmowers driving up the street like a phalanx. Anyway, <laughs> that was the noise. Uh, it's um, uh, getting through those training camps in those various cities or however they're going to do it. That is going to be the big hurdle. I know Kurt Levins wrote about that. And uh, I have the same misgivings of how do we get from here today to there being the end of the month and and games actually starting at uh, Edmonton's downtown arena and a reasonable concern and and you know um, to put a different slightly different spin on it maybe the good news was the 15 players who tested positive including one of them getting named in Austin Matthews um, maybe that's the wake-up call that NHL players needed you know, we're seeing a lot. Uh, we're seeing, you know, there's always the, you know, the people who uh, there's negative people who don't want this to happen. And there's players, you know, where we hear rumors of players who aren't keen about it. But we're also hearing players like Quinn Hughes, who are just mm-hmm. super keen to get to get going. Mm-hmm. And for those players, and I, and I think that that feeling is honestly, I think that's going to predominate on most of these teams for a number of reasons, both economic and competitive. I, these guys want to get going that having that many players test positive, including Matthews was a huge wake up call. And if they weren't taking it seriously before it, it's time to get serious. Boys could be the message in the dressing room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you're not going to go out anymore. You're going to, you, you're really going to, you know, hibernate in your little man cave for a while. And we're going to get through this because a lot of money is riding on this. A lot of money is riding on this player's money and that's got to be sinking in like if it isn't sinking in they got then they have rocks in their head because a lot of money is riding on this for the owners and Mm -hmm. for the players millions of dollars and for the players you know the owners are going to own these teams for however long right they can probably ride this out players their earning capacity is shorter term and i wonder you know i think did you raise this last time? Like, if there isn't players, what happens to the salary cap, the CBA, and all this stuff? Like, it's all kind of predicated on that. That was what, you mm-hmm. know, that's driving this to a certain extent. Think, so there's yeah, tons riding on this. So I think sure. the players might really, and the teams will learn. Everyone's going to learn, as I've been saying, mm-hmm. how to do this right. And I think they're going to get it right and proceed. The reason I think the league hasn't made an official announcement yet for all that we've had, basically every reporter from, from, uh, Bob McKenzie on down uh, in my hierarchy of things, at least uh, uh, saying that it's a done deal is that they actually need to get corroboration from the players. And you can imagine probably some players digging in their heels about Edmonton for whatever the reasons are that uh, that it's on the list of, of undesirable trade targets and so on. But you know what? I sure in the heck would rather be in Edmonton in August than Las Vegas. 
And the idea of being stuck in a 4,000-suite um, Las Vegas super hotel with internal air conditioning during the time of an airborne virus, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I think the league made the right decision to steer clear of that uh, that uh, uh, situation. And uh, uh, I think the players, I mean, poor old Ryan Kessler, you know, I mean, I would say you'd have to just bite your lower lip, Ryan, and come to Edmonton. If your team was good enough to make the playoffs, you might have to do that. But uh, I guess since your guys didn't make the playoffs, you can just take pot shots from uh, whatever distance you happen to be. He's, it was juvenile what he said. It was like a, <laughs> it was, no, really, it was a juvenile comment from someone who was ignorant. And, you know, he, he, I, I, I think there was a certain amount of ignorance, honestly, Bruce, in the whole mm. Vegas thing. The players are thinking Vegas, Vegas, because they go there in the winter when it's warmer than most of the other places, and the other places are colder, and it's exciting to be there. But in the summer, how, how many of them, I, I don't know, how many of them have been there? Do yeah. they? I don't know what Vegas is like in the summer, but like, is that really uh, wise? And how many have been to? How many of them have actually been to Edmonton in the summer when Edmonton's a fantastic oh, yeah, that's, place? That's the question. In yeah, the I summer, mean, yeah. So there's a lot of, that was a juvenile and dopey comment from an ignorant person. And let's just write it off as that. And he was, he was trying to get a rise out of us and he, and he succeeded. So if that was his goal, good for you, Ryan Kessler. He he didn't get a rise out of me other than just now, but uh, I would say (laughs) my, my, my opinion of Ryan Kessler uh, has diminished, except for, I don't think it could. I think it just remains at flat zero where it was before. Uh, Not a fan, never been a fan of that guy I, I i will give him the credit of being a hell of a hockey player Bruce, and, a, and a great competitor and and a guy if i'm completely honest i wish was had been on the edmonton oilers all those years and not some other team so i, I like i i want to be give him his due but as a social commentator and uh like give you, you know like whatever I, I put zero weight in what he has to say on 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 these issues like it, Listen, well, you... safety, safety, they, everyone's talked a good game about safety, but a lot of it has been just talk. But when push came to shove and they had to really think, where is the safe place to play? If safety really is the big issue, okay, if that really is the issue, we got to go to the safest places. And Vancouver dro- dropped out. I think we would be seeing Edmonton and Vancouver, honestly. But Vancouver dropped out possibly because they, you know, the NHL needs to do a lot of, a ton of testing right now. Mm-hmm. They can't, and they, the BC, the BC model isn't to do a ton of testing. It's, they do about half the testing, I think, per capita that we do. And Ontario's moved on to a lot of testing. The last thing you need in the NHL, in a place where you need a ton of testing to stage this event, is any kind of suggestion, oh, the, the players are ahead of anyone in the public when it comes to testing. You can't have that. Like that, that's just a rotten image for the league. You can't have that kind of favoritism. So they needed to go to places with high testing. And in the end, maybe Ontario and Edmonton were the best places because uh, Toronto and Edmonton were the best because we have that in both these cities. And it's less a part of the strategy in BC, although to give BC complete credit, they've done exceedingly well in containing the virus as well. I think Alberta and BC, like for major, huge population areas have done it as, you know, as, as well as anyone in North America. Bruce, what do you see now? Is that phalanx past? Um. Yeah, now I got a delivery at the uh, at the front door. Just had a house fit pinch at my feeder. First one I've seen in a couple months. Happy to see that. Lots of action out here. You're, t- if you're talking about a busy news day, man. It just just keeps on coming. Bruce, let's talk uh, salary cap. 
Yeah. Okay. $81.5 million for the next two years, maybe going up in the third year after that. So, uh, in listen, the, the, when you're the players and you're looking into the future, like who knows what hockey revenues are going to be? You're only going to get 50% of revenues um, under the CBA. League-wide revenues may crash to half or uh, we just don't know. If there's no, right. if there's no um, fans in the stands this year, Next year, you'd think there would be by next year, but for a whole year, what is the, what is it going to be? So what the players get out of this is absolute certainty that, that as much as money was, was paid to us last year, we're going to get, at least as the starting point, we're going to get the same amount this year. Now the escrow will take 20% out of that, but how many of us, Bruce, have that kind of certainty right now in terms of what our salary or our job is going to be going forward? How many people in North America, we have 25% unemployment in Alberta. How many people have that kind of deal where they get, they can say, we're going to get the same amount? So to me, this was, I can see why the players would say certainty, security. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll, I want to sign this deal. So suddenly it makes sense to me why they might be interested in signing it. Well, I mean, the 81.5 million, the, the salary cap and the, and the contract figures that the players signed for, uh, I've long referred to the, that, um, uh, those figures as Batman bucks and that they're, they're kind of an artificial let's start here and we'll declare it this amount and then when we figure out what half of the hockey related revenue is then we'll claw back or, or do what's needed with escrow uh, to balance the scale so a guy that's got a 10 million dollar contract you know he might get 9.372 million one year well next year he might get 8.0 million because they're going to claw back probably the whole 20 percent that they can but no more than that and but so how many years put, have they actually clawed back in recent like in recent years they have always been back. a few percent like i don't think they've ever gotten like the full thing and and uh Certainly with the players always voting in this escalator clause to keep bumping up the salary cap and bumping it up, that's uh, uh, reduced from, you know, the uh, it's raised the salary cap without necessarily raising the hockey-related revenues. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's shifting sands and uh, you, you need a phalanx of accountants to figure out all, all of uh, the details that's involved in that. Uh, and of course, I say hockey-related revenues, where the 50% comes from. And this this is where the the crux of the argument from Artini Panarin the other day, talking about how the the oiler, uh, the owner's equity in the franchise is just going up, 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 and that is completely separate from hockey-related revenues. So they're they're earning on both sides of the equation, and uh, that's where that was. And I'm not sure that all these players uh, have a you know a, a a full understanding of all the accounting that's going on. But uh, I know hockey players for a long time have the general feeling that they're getting, getting taken advantage of by the Oilers or owners owners. And there is uh, uh, certainly plenty of evidence that uh, that does happen from time to time. Yeah. I think an argument, you know, going back to the, I'd say pre 1990s, Mm-hmm. Could have easily, you know, during the Eagleson era oh. and before the Eagleson era. After mm-hmm. that, I don't have a lot of, you know, I, I don't buy it. Like, frankly, I don't buy it. And I I thought, again, I had zero sympathy for, for Panarin's mm-hmm. yeah. uh, concern, uh, you know, like that he's going to have, he, he, he might have to pay 20% escrow on his 11 million. 
because the league's revenues have crashed by 50%, you know, suck it up, Buttercup. That's well, I just, this uh, is a, zero, this is, zero sympathy. This is a situation where the Forbes value of the uh, teams won't be going up like it usually is. In fact, <laughs> they're going to be taking a potentially a big bath there as the entire global economy finds its new level. I mean, I'm honestly not sure that this entire model is going to survive the test of time as, uh, you know, from this starting point that we find ourselves at now. It's a, it's, it's a huge question what's going to happen in the next one, two, three years. And freezing the salary cap. And uh, another huge consideration in this, by the way, is the uh, apparent absence of any compliance buyout aspect. So it's not like the Oilers are going to be able to make room by having a uh, compliance buyout of James Neal that's, you know, clear, suddenly clears five and three quarter million dollars of salary cap. That ain't happening. So they will, um, uh, <clears throat> they are going to have to squeeze under the cap and they're already starting with a penalty, I understand, from this year where they've exceeded the cap due to bonuses paid. And so there's, uh, uh, they're going to be tight and it's going to be, it's going to be uh, uh, a very, tough ask of uh, of uh, Ken Holland and his phalanx of accountants and capologists. Yeah, the I guess the owners, what I heard was, and I don't know if this is true, but you know, the, the chatter was that the owners didn't want compliance bios. It hardly came up because mm-hmm. just they don't want to pay the extra millions. Like oh, they don't have so extra millions to flow around anymore. So again, we've talked about this before, but some of the owners are going to be in, in just their industries might be absolutely decimated or even worse than decimated, like ten, that's 10%, but it, they could just be, you know, 20, 30, 40%, like, or their, their business might not be viable at all, their core business outside of hockey. And we no. don't, and some of them, of course, if they're in some other business might be just fine or might be doing better than ever because it's the weird thing about the outbreak, but most of them are going to take a hit in their outside businesses, a major hit. We don't know in Edmonton, Bruce, where Kate's is going to be, right. but, you know, We've we've had the luxury since he took over the team since really two thousand since the new CBA actually in two thousand and five the, the the ground shed CBA, you know we went from a time from nineteen eighty seven to two thousand and five where the owners consistently lost their best players all the time because the owners didn't have enough money to pay them, and that's ended in Edmonton since then and people that's a distant memory for many fans but for you and I not so distant quite fresh in our memories we haven't had that in a long time and we don't know actually what Kate's situation is going to be coming out of this so there's a lot of uncertainty just as an Oilers fan like how how did Daryl Cates do here because if Mm -hmm. he's suddenly and I and I don't want to suggest that he's not doing well I have no idea I'm just this is the possibility for all these owners including him that there's a lot of uncertainty for him Mm -hmm. and the all these guys and for fans of the teams well, I always wondered that about these compliance buyouts. I mean, uh, put yourself in Daryl Cates' shoes for a moment, and your GM comes to you and say, you know, well, if you write a check to James Neal to pay off the last uh, $23 million on his contract or whatever it is, even if it's not two-thirds, hey, you're going to write an eight-figure check, and oh, yeah, I'm going to take that because uh, that's going to give us space on our salary cap for me to go out and sign another guy to the same amount of money so you can write eight-figure checks to that guy too you know i mean it's it's kind of a no win i mean last time it, it certainly helped clear the salary cap aspect of it and that's the part that fans are most familiar with but from a uh, you know a sheer a financial perspective 
you're paying a guy to go away to make room so you can pay another guy to come in and take his place or other guys. And uh, uh, I'm not surprised that the uh, owners decided they didn't want anything to do with that this time. Yeah, no compliance buyout for James Neal and no compliant buyout for Milan Lucic and his no movement contract heading into the Seattle expansion, Bruce. So there's that. Yeah, so, well, that but that would have uh, cleared the seven hundred fifty thousand that the Oilers retained on Lucic. So uh, I mean, I was hoping Calgary would buy him out, frankly, just to make that go away. But fair enough. Anyway, there's a lot, uh, lots of little strings attached to these things. <laughs> uh, so they have about ten point five million dollars, Bruce. It looks like, and they've got a bunch of players to sign: Andreas Athanasiu. Riley Sheehan, Tyler Ennis, Patrick Russell, Mike Green, Matt Benning, Ethan Bear, and Mike Smith. Wow. So that's a lot of players, but it's not, um, it's, it strikes me, well, first of all, we don't know, the playoffs are going to change everything in terms of the bargaining position of these players, or at least they're going to change things significantly for many of them. If, if Andreas Athanasio suddenly steps up on a top line and is getting a point a game in the playoffs... Suddenly mm-hmm. he goes from maybe he's like a five million dollar a year winger or a four million dollar a year winger. Like if he really if he really aces it, let's say he has a Fernando Pisani two thousand and six kind of playoffs where he just comes mm-hmm. alive. You know, suddenly, you know, given his age and he uh, um, going for his you know his hockey skill set, he could become a lot more expensive. But if he flops, suddenly he, he could also conversely become a player where the owners think, ah, oh, geez, I don't do we even qualify him at three three million plus? Like do we? Or do we not qualify him and then try to sign him at a million and a half or something? Right. So, but within the money that they have and the holes that they have on the team, I think there's enough money this coming year to find the necessary pieces, spare parts. There isn't money, though, to, go, to, to splurge on a big free agent like Taylor Hall or let's say Robin Lehner, the goalie. Um, uh, maybe they'd want him. I don't see splurge money there. Now, I know a lot of people think the owners are going to make a run at Hall or, or want the Oilers to take a run at Taylor Hall and free agency. But Bruce, and, and it gets even more complicated a year from now because that's when Adam Larson, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Chris Russell, and Kyler Yamamoto will all need new contracts. So I just think the Oilers are out of, unless I'm wrong, unless I'm not seeing something correctly here, I don't see how the Oilers can sign a major free agent in the next three years. Well, maybe it's just as well, given the terrible track record they have in signing major <laughs> free agents in the past. Not just them, yeah. You know, no, no, I mean, it's a, it's a league-wide concern. I think we, we've already seen something of an adjustment in, in that market. But it's just the internal thing, and some of it's just the luck of the draw, you know. I mean, the luckiest guy on Edmonton Oilers today is Zach Cassian. I say that. Who yeah. signed a four-year, uh, $12.8 million extension at the end of January. And if they had just played that, you know, stretched it out like, you know, like they do, like they have with Matt Benning, for example, or, or other players where they get to the point where, okay, we'll take him to the end and we'll, we'll negotiate down, down after the season's over. He would not be getting four years and he would not be getting $3.2 million per year. They would just be coming back at him with, okay, Zach, we like you and we're going to give you a two-year offer at the same money or, you know, uh, uh, token raise but we can't go that much but because that deal is signed he's in the pink and whereas on the other hand Matt Benning doesn't have a contract Ethan Bear doesn't have a contract I think in the case of Bear 
And many players of his ilk, guys coming off of their entry-level contracts that have proven themselves, don't have arbitration rights, that we're going to see uh, low-ball, one-year bridge contracts to take them at least to their uh, uh, to their arbitration. Like the players just don't have a lot of negotiating uh, room uh, at that point. And I mean, they'll, they'll, I mean, they'll give them a raise, but I don't think you're going to see some of the money that's been bandied around in some discussions of what would be an ideal situation for Ethan Bear. I mean, ideally, you sign the guy long term and you pay him, but I just don't see that that's going to happen in this uh, in this situation. You see, let's say the Oilers were able to, let's say they decided not to bring back Athanasiu and they they could move Chris. Let's they found a way to move Chris Russell out Good and they brought back instead now. of. They brought back instead of Mike Smith a cheap goalie. That could free up the money to sign Taylor Hall for one year. Like I can see that could work, right? You could do that. You could if if Taylor Hall was, you know, not going maybe for top dollar. But what about the next year then? Mm-hmm. You know, what about when you have to get yeah. Yamamoto signed, when you have to think about uh, more money maybe for Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear, Evan Bo- not Evan Bouchard yet, but Tyler Yamamoto. If if you splurge on and I call it a splurge because that's how I view it on Taylor Hall um, this year, you're saying goodbye to maybe Kyler Yamamoto the next year. It's a possibility. He is an RFA, so some other team would have to make an offer sheet and all that, and maybe maybe that's not going to happen in this new NHL, and maybe you think you can grind him down. But, you know, there are a lot of talented young players, Bear, Jones, um, Bouchard. Uh, Jones deals look good. Yeah, that's good for two years. Mm-hmm. So I just don't know, Bruce, that they can – Maybe if you maybe if you carefully went through all the numbers, you could find a way. And I'm missing something. But my initial take on it is, I don't, I don't see how you can make that happen. And um, you, am well, I wrong? That Chris Russell, that Chris Russell trade that uh, that's been bandied about for a long time. That once we get to July second, which this happens to be of 2020, yeah, and the million dollars is paid to him, and apparently all those bonuses are being paid as of yesterday. Yeah, uh, that. He's a $4 million cap hit who's only owed $1.5 in real money. That might be attractive to a certain uh, caliber of teams and, you know, budgets and so on. Well, I think that market just dried up with the, with this news on the uh, salary cap freeze. I mean, it's teams, there'll be better options available for teams to take on good players with salary cap to uh, improve their teams. Uh, and I think the... the the challenge of moving Chris Russell's last year just got a lot more difficult for Ken Holland. I'm not sure about that. Although I, I take your point that there might be a lot of competition for jobs for players, but Russell, um, like, so let's say it's a team that doesn't, isn't pressed up against the cap. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not a cap issue team. And there's going to be right. a number of teams like that, but it's a team whose owner is cash strapped, who doesn't right. have, who, who, he's hurting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and and because Russell now only has to pay to be paid a million five from yes. here on in. So what you're looking at is and so then okay. So financially a million five, that's that's in the ballpark. I mean league minimum is what it's eight hundred like nine hundred thousand. What seven, is it? Seven hundred thousand. Okay, so he's he's double that. But if if you're really strapped for a D man and you, you think okay, so. Financially, it can work. Hockey-wise, it can also work. for Because yep, some some coaches and GMs are going to look at Chris Russell and think, he can play in my top four still. 
I got a bunch of young defensemen. Let's say you're Ottawa. I got a bunch of young defensemen. They could use a really steady veteran player who can survive in the top four. Chris Russell for one year is the answer, and he'll be a good mentor for these players. I actually think Chris Russell, for for all the reasons he was viewed as a good trade uh, prospect before, is a better one now, Bruce, because some owners are going to be hurting for money. So maybe though there'll be so many talented players, like let's say Chris Tanev or something like that, you could get even for less than a million five. I don't know. I'm just guessing, like throwing out a name, but I saw him as a UFA. Um, maybe you could yeah. get someone like that for for yeah. for even cheaper. So there's a better. But I, I actually think his value just it's kind of like the Lucic thing next year. You got to think hard. Like, is is there someone out there who's going to bite? And I say. The, the main hang-up for Chris Russell in terms of getting traded isn't the other teams don't want him. It's that Chris Russell has a no-trade clause. He can only go to one of 15 teams. If he picks 15 teams right up against the cap on his where the only teams I can go to list, that's going to really complicate things because then it's going to have to be a salary-for-salary salary trade, mm-hmm. and that makes it more complicated for the Edmonton Oilers. Maybe they trade for a goalie for Russell then like maybe Mike Smith doesn't come back and they trade for a goalie like that's a possibility like mm-hmm. but um I if Russell doesn't want to trade I think a trade no. might not it's up to him I think which is fine he he earned that right he got that no trade clause it's up to him that's the deal I want to go down the list of players Bruce okay. unless you have something to add but I want to go down the list of players and I want a yes or no <laughs> Based on their current play, we just for, let's pretend the playoffs aren't going to happen. But whether you think they would be back with the Oilers at this point, um, on a reason like if if you think they're on the Oilers' plans going forward, just based right, on right okay. now, mm-hmm. which is kind of an artificial construct, but we'll do it anyway. Sure. Okay. Tyranus, yes or no? Uh, yep. Yep. One year cheap. Yeah, me too. Patrick Russell, yes or no? Uh. I'm not against one year minimum as before, but I don't. I'm not sure he's going to make the team. I don't. Oh, I don't he's think he's in not. the margin. Yeah. Yeah. Riley Sheehan, yes or no? Uh, that's all on the dollars. If he's holding out for two years at two million, as one rumor had it, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, he, you know, he, the whole reason he was so helpful to the Oilers this year was the bargain contract that he had. You know, nine hundred thousand dollars, and he delivered. You know, more than that, and he does deserve probably a raise, but uh, two years, two million, I don't see that. And so uh, I he's, I would have the player back, but it's all about the contract. Completely agree. And, and given, um, I mean, I heard um, McDavid's agent, Jeff Jackson, saying, you know, the bad news for players is you're, you're going to, if you get an offer, you're going to be taking it because mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be a tough tough market yep. for you yep. so i think shayan's thinking was tied to the old world of the nhl and if he doesn't adjust his expectations right. he's de- he's also a no there's going to be other players the owners can sign for less than two million for two years for riley shayan they're going to they want to fill that with one million a year for one year uh, we're, yeah, yeah. we're going to see i think we're going to see a ton of one-year contracts yeah i agree summer. bruce andreas athanasiu oh boy yeah well set, set the qualifying uh offer of you know his existing pay rate of three million and he he was coming around towards the end but um from what we saw in edmonton uh it was a much ado about not much you know uh but um 
Uh, if you look at his track record, 30 goal scorer, you know, speed burner, you know, there's lots of things to like in the player. Again, I would say one year, prove it. And if I'm the team, I'm working hard on him taking a bit of a haircut to do it, saying, you know, here are the financial circumstances, Andreas. You know, you know, your qualifying offer is three million. You know, if you want to take us to the wall and go to go on the open market, what do you think you're really going to be worth? Here's two million. What do you think? You know. Yeah, that that might be the case, Bruce. That said, I think he's a yes because Holland paid dearly for him. Mm-hmm. Um, Two, two second round draft picks. So that dynamic, and he knows the player. He 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 felt enough for the player right. to trade for him. He's not going to be discouraged by nine games or whatever it was in Edmonton. Right. I think he's a yes. I think that now now that that doesn't preclude them trying to grind him down a little bit, like to agree to like, well, we'll give you two years at two mil two point five right. or two years at two point four maybe, like and right. give him an extra year on the contract. See if that works. Like, mm-hmm. so I'm not. So I say a yes, but there could be. Uh, a qualified yes. Okay, Mike Green. Uh, only on a huge haircut for me. I mean, Minimum he, he was $5.3 million last year. The Oilers are only paying half of that. They also uh, they also sent Kyle Brodziak's salary the other way. So his cost to the team was 1.5 this year, like a, a, a pro rata of 1.5. And that to me is an upper limit. And I, I'm hearing, well, he's a veteran with all this stuff. You know, he's going to cost two or two and a half million. Well, if that's what the cost is, then let's move on. Let's go after Chris Tanev, as you say. I, I say no. Like, other mm-hmm. than other than the fact that Holland seems to really like the player. I mean, people who are watching him in Detroit for the last year just yeah. had had seen enough. That was the consensus. And I, I, just, I just don't see how it happens unless there's a huge change in the playoffs. So... Well, we saw two whole games, not even two whole games, because he didn't finish the second game. So it's really yeah. hard to to hard to know to place where he fits on the team. And, Matt Benning. Oh, uh, I say the same. You you try and bring him back. Uh, he's a case where I offer two years, uh, uh, but try and grind him on the dollars. And the reason being that if the Oilers are going to protect four defensemen for the draft for um, Seattle, uh, as many think, with that value contract for uh, Caleb Jones and also, of course, their nurse Clefbaum, uh, they have to have on their roster a guy who has um, either 40 NHL games next year or 70 games over two years going into the draft who's under contract, not on an expiring contract like Adam Larson, but under contract to make available to Seattle. And if they don't have such a player, then they can't protect all the guys they might want to protect. They might have to put Caleb Jones available just because, they, you know, so. Uh, Does it have to be a defenseman? Yes. Yeah, they have to have at least one defenseman on their uh, unprotected list who's under contract who's an nhl player right it can't be some guy that's been in the minors for five years it has to be a guy that's played in the nhl uh significantly in the last one or two years wow um, there's, there's two different you know it's 40 games in the most recent year 70 games over the two years to cover off a little bit for injuries and that sort of stuff but you now basically a real nhl defenseman so you bring back matt benning under a two-year pact and maybe try and grind him, you know, because you're offering two years and, you know, and there's other issues, maybe say 1.5, Matt, not 1.9 or, you know, you know, but 
that that is the consideration, and it's a it's a factor in Benning's favor for negotiating a a two year extension in his hometown. So they protect Nurse, Clefbaum, Bear, and Jones under yeah. that scenario. Yeah, and, and they, they need they, to have and Larson's a UFA, so they don't need to protect him. They could, could right. but he wouldn't but be the he's he not under contract. Right. They have because they have to have a UFA. guy. Yeah, they have to have a guy a, under contract who's played uh, a significant number of NHL games who Seattle can choose from. So Couldn't be Lagesson? Uh, unless he has uh, plays 40 games next year. Okay, all right. right. He might. Like, he, he might, yeah. Oh. So it could be in theory if... If they sign but, Lagesson to a two-year extension, because again, he has to be on contract. Uh, the contract has to extend into Seattle's first NHL season in 21-22. If they traded Russell, then mm-hmm. uh, Lagesson could play 40 games next year, right? And, mm-hmm. and if they don't bring Benning back. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's a really good point, though. I hadn't thought about that. And uh, Okay, Mike Smith. Lots of strings. Yeah, Mike Smith. Uh I think it's inevitable that they're going to bring him back for one year. And I agree. I think the contract will be similar as the one this year. And, you know, again, they may they may try and scale it back a little bit. I mean, they have full negotiating power with him. There's no qualifying offer or anything else. He can do what he wants. But a bird in hand. The NHL team comes to say, say, Mike, you know, the, you know how the salary cap's tighter now. We can't offer you quite the same, but. I, you know, and I, I think there's going to be a lot of players that stick to their existing team signing one-year deals, and I think Mike Smith is apt to be one of those guys. And I didn't ask you about Ethan Bear, but uh, Ethan, Ethan Bear, yeah, 100%. He gets uh, extended somehow. The question is how, and how long, and how much. Yeah, he might sign for one year, just hoping that the, the situation changes and he can get a bigger deal. Like he doesn't have a lot of negotiating power right now, and Mm-hmm. But he's a, such a fantastic hockey player that he might, um, you know, and things change. Like if he's a big, again, if they go far in the playoffs and Bear is one of the key players, um, he could get more. Smith is interesting because I, I really, there's a there's a chance if he bombs in the playoffs that he, that he won't uh, be back. But this goes for all the players that we just mentioned. It's, it's, and we're just going on what we know now and what we know right. now. I agree with you, Bruce. He's a... He's coming back. And then we get to the, the issue next year with this cap with Nugent mm-hmm. Hopkins, Larson, uh, Yamamoto, and Chris Russell. I mean, this is, I think, safe to say Chris Russell's last year with the Oilers. Mm-hmm. Yes. But given all the talent bubbling up on defense, it's for, if he might still be in the NHL after this, but not with the Oilers. Mm-hmm. Um, Nuge, like it's interesting if Nuge, Larson, uh, Nuge and Larson may sign for similar amounts. And they're like under this new idea of the NHL with lesser revenues. Nugent Larson may sign actually for very similar amounts uh, with whatever new team they sign with, if be the Oilers or another team. So I could see both those players in theory coming back. And I and I and I'm not exactly sure about this, Bruce, but if Larson doesn't sign with the Oilers until after next summer, um after July 1st next summer, mm-hmm. and Seattle, I guess, could if he's a UFA, Seattle could still take him in the expansion draft, could they? And then he would he, yes. would he count as the Oilers player, even though he's not under contract yep. for the next year. So he would count yep. then. 
Yeah, um, they would get first dibs at the guy, but he would be, you know, he would go be prepared to go on the open market, you know, a week after the expansion draft if it was under normal schedule. I mean, Las Vegas, they did draft uh, um, uh, an unrestricted free agent. Um, uh, oh, heck, uh, the guy they got from Calgary, the uh, the guy that started his pro career in Vegas. Uh, oh, England. Yeah, Derek England. Derek England. And he, he was actually unrestricted free agent. I remember at the time going, why would they pick an unrestricted free agent from Calgary? You know, Calgary got a real break there, which they did. But there was a backstory to that, and they had a definite thing in mind. They signed the guy, like seemed like an hour after they drafted him. He was under contract. But um, uh, so if a team had, you know, a good free agent and, and they thought they had a real shot at him, they, you know, they might just draft him to get those rights to have, you know, the first dibs at negotiating something with the guy and say, you know, say, Adam, you know, we see you as a, you know, cornerstone player on our franchise. You're our Lee Fogland to, to bring an Edmonton Oilers reference to the, you know, the 1979 ex- expansion slash merger uh, yeah. uh, scenario. But, uh, you know, that I could see, uh, you know, them, them taking one or two expired contracts and so you could use it as a way to try and finesse um, a guy that you don't want to have to protect him, but you still, so you have yeah. kind of a handshake deal that, okay, on day after the expansion draft, we're going to sign you to a five-year extension, Ryan, yeah. or, you know, or, or Adam. Uh, but we don't, if we wait until then, we don't have to protect you, and we can protect one of your good teammates, and you'll have a better team, you know, and... So there's certain to be some of that kind of stuff going on, but uh, uh, I don't think there's too many players that would want to wait and then sign their extension, you know, that close to the end, unless, you know, they if they're going to well, commit to the team, they want the team to commit to them, you know. I was just about to say, Bruce, that I think one of the, one of the repercussions flowing out of this flat cap and uncertainty mm-hmm. on NHL revenues mainly going forward NHL teams, you're saying the players are going to sign one-year deals. Well, the players, the, the teams themselves are going to be pushing that. Absolutely. And for the, these big-time free agents like Nugent Hopkins, Larson, mm-hmm. there, there's going to be a hesitancy, I think, to – I think they want to, They might want to wait till next summer before you mm-hmm. tie up Nugent Hopkins, unless right. he's going to essentially take what he's taking now and you just extend it a few years. Mm-hmm. Just everyone like Nugent will give you – you're happy mm-hmm. now. We'll give you – okay, how about, two, how about three more years at, at six? Would you take that? Maybe that happens. But other than that, I think we might just see a kind of wait-and-see attitude on uh, more likely to see that than we would have seen otherwise. I wouldn't have been surprised if Nugent Hopkins signed a new deal under the old – if nothing had changed, if we had had no COVID, he would um, – this summer, I think he would have signed. But I, I suspect we might not see him sign now until later on and until everyone kind of susses out the situation. Does that, does well, that make that's, sense? That's yeah, yeah. That way we can write 40 posts about his extension during the season <laughs> next year. The raging. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> neither, can, neither can the faithful, Bruce. They're, they are looking forward yeah. to that. The endless discussion. Uh-huh. The endless discussion. Well, we're still much... talking about signing Taylor Hall, for goodness sake. We've already done it on this broadcast. Four years now he's been I gone. And it's still, he's still in the conversation. Yeah. Now. Yeah, he still he haunts us still. He, uh, <laughs> he, yeah, people. That's why I brought it up. I, it's not on my mind. It's not top of mind for me. But I'm seeing people talk about it on Twitter. So and and some people talking about like they think the Oilers are actually going to make a, a serious move, like 
So the only way to sign Taylor Hall, I think, is to move Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I personally would not do that. I personally would not do that either. So we are in full agreement on that count. Alrighty, I think uh, I think we're done for today, Bruce. I think we've we've dug into the topics, and we'll be returning to these same topics again and again and again, um, mm-hmm. not just with Nuge, but with all these other players. But we have a little bit more firm footing now with this with this cap to go on. Of course, if the players vote it down, well, then there's no playoffs, and there's no who knows what happens then. If the, they're not going to vote it down, so they won't. They, uh, yeah, I don't think it'll be a vote down. I do think some players will opt out, and. Uh, and We'll we'll see how many there is. I mean, this whole playoff scenario. There's a there's a bunch of a bunch of questions over it. Um, and I mean, one one obvious one, uh, you know, it, like the motivation levels of the players. You know, typically in NHL playoffs, they're ramped all the way up to a hundred uh, in terms of their compete level. Even though you know. They get paid for the regular season, not the playoffs. I think this year there's more mitigating circumstances. They're playing in, under strange circumstances in a strange city where winning means another two weeks away from from the uh, family in this uh, locale. I mean, that's that's consistent with playoffs uh, in the past, but but more so. And I, I just think the environment of the games without the fans, everything's going to be so strange and different that... Uh, I'm really interested in the integrity of the competition in terms of everybody bringing their absolute best. And then you also have this other factor, which doesn't necessarily affect the players directly, but it's underlying where where uh, the teams that lose in the play-in round have a one-in-eight chance of getting Alexis Lafreniere, and the teams that win in the uh, play-in round have a one in 16 chance of getting the Stanley Cup. So you literally have a twice as good odds of getting the first overall draft pick by losing that series as you have of getting the Stanley Cup by winning that series. And that's just assuming that all the teams in the subsequent rounds are equal. So a weak team that's almost certain not to win five series in a row, their, their objectives are somewhat compromised by this sort of advanced knowledge that that number one pick is hanging out there. So that complicates the picture too. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have those concerns, Bruce. I just think it, you're, they're going to get together as a team. They're a bunch of young guys. They want to win. They're highly competitive. The GM may have those thoughts. The players will not have those thoughts. And, and, and I think actually the cult, like it's going to be a cult like atmosphere of isolation Team, 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 compete, compete, compete. No distractions if the families aren't right. there. And I think actually we may see a, the competition will be different, but it may be better. Yeah. It may not different. necessarily even be worse. We may see this weird thing where it's like it's it takes on a different meaning for everybody. And that that it could you know I could I can understand the concern that, that people have. I think that's a fair comment. But my own take is we're gonna see cult-like ferocity in these games isolated players nothing on their minds but hockey 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 feeding on each other and going at it and and also you know i I guess they probably won't have much contact with the other teams in the in the hotels and stuff because they're all segregated but you know i just it's going to be weird and and it's going to be it's going to be the playoffs no one is ever going to forget 
No fighting, no yelling at the refs, no spitting. I mean, there's going to be a bunch of things that are going to seem strange. (laughs) You can't yell at the ref. Yeah, you're probably right about that. All right. Well, let's let's leave it there. Thanks for talking today, Bruce. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.